All right, guys, welcome back to the chapter of all chapters in the book of Exodus. We're in Lesson 34. We're talking about Exodus 12 and 13, but specifically uh, the Passover, which is really the death of the firstborns to the Egyptians, and he's going to pass over the Israelites. That's a lot there. We're going to go there, and how does this foreshadow and point to Christ? How does the deliverer of Moses and Aaron speaking forth then bring about the delivery of of Jesus. In Exodus 11, we talked about it yesterday, and it felt weird to me. Yesterday felt flat, but I think it felt flat is because we never talk about the blood. We never talked about the sacrifice. We just talked about how he's going to kill the firstborn. <laughs> it's kind of a depressing message. But today we're going to put it all together. And so obviously all of this, all of this was because of Pharaoh's heart being hardened. And so when you get into Exodus 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord, this is pretty cool, said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. So now it's just common. The Lord is talking to Moses and an Aaron. He says, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It's the first month of your year. And so you have the plague. But the one thing you have is, is first of all, he's establishing a new calendar. This is the first month of your year. Hey, wouldn't that be cool? Hey, Kevin, uh, I'm going to start a whole new calendar year just for your family. You know what that really makes me think of? I'm just going to go drastic for a second. The minute that you embrace the Messiah as your Savior, you get a new calendar. You get a whole new beginning. You get new life. You get new growth. All of this is beginning to happen. And the Israelites are beginning to experience this because they're going to be delivered from the bondage that they've been in for decades. And in verse 3, it says this, Tell the whole community. I want you to tell the whole community, first of all, you're going to start a new year, but now... On the 10th day, tell all of Israel on the 10th day of this month, they must select an animal of the flock according to their father's households, one animal per household. So the McElravey family, how many animals would you need to get? That one. would just be one. In verse four, it says, if the household is too small for a whole animal, Jeff, that would not be the case of your family. That person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each person will eat. So the reality is if you're a decent-sized family, then you're going to get one animal. If you're a smaller family, like Taylor, you'd probably combine families, right? And now watch this in verse 5, but I'm going to come back to this. You must have an unblemished animal. All right, guys, what does the word unblemished mean? No faults. Yeah, no faults. And it must be a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. <laughs> this, is, this is so cool. You're to keep it until the 14th day. I'm in verse 6. The 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. Now, let's just go. Let's just say that in comparison, we're all going to go and get a sheep. We're all going to go get a little lamb. Taylor, I think you guys had described a, a, a sheep as what? I mean, a lamb is what? I'm sorry. A young sheep. Without teeth. <laughs> it's true. It's actually true. When you think about the baby sheep, you have to automatically think, well, who else are they talking about as a foreshadow? Well, it's pretty cool. And uh, this is really cool. Think about in Genesis 22, verse 7. Okay, I'm going to go backwards, actually, not forward for a second. In Genesis 22, verse 7. Here's what you have is you guys remember when Abraham and Isaac are together and Isaac spoke to his father and Abraham was to sacrifice his son and and he said, my father, Isaac said, and he replied, here I am. Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
And so here you have a foreshadowing about wanting to sacrifice a lamb. Here you now you're going to go sacrifice a lamb. And at the very end, in, the, in all of the new covenant, all of a sudden one guy says, look, there's the lamb. Kevin, if you would go to John 1, 29. You have John the Baptist. He's been training and raising up men to impact all of their community. In John 1, 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's an awesome picture about Jesus being called the Lamb of God. John the Baptist pointing out, there's the Lamb. What does he do? The Lamb takes away the sin of the world. What we're going to find is, is that this little, this little Lamb, the blood of this Lamb, is going to allow the Passover to take place for the Israelite. And so now when you come back to this, this animal situation about, did this animal, this little Lamb, pass the test? Well, if this Lamb passed the test, and then in verse 7 it says, you're supposed to slaughter the animals at twilight. You're supposed to kill them, slain them. And then in verse 7, it says, Then they must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. So I want you to take the blood of this innocent lamb. This lamb did nothing. Take the blood of this lamb. And then it says, and, and it's, it's kind of crazy. Keep going here, Kevin, if we can. Remember, Wearsby says it wasn't in the life of the lamb. It was in the death of the lamb. And Jesus' death was what gives us Life. Jesus' death is what gives us life. The little lamb's death is what gives the Israelites life. Everything, Isaiah 53, the prophet points to the blood that comes through this little lamb. Matthew 20, verse 28, just to give you some more backdrop about the death and how important the death is and how the blood is important in order for us to have life. Matthew 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 26, verse 28, the same imagery of this death. For this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Death and blood is what gives freedom from the bondage that we're in. Ephesians 1, verse 7. I know I'm just hammering it here, but I'm telling you guys, what you're seeing in Exodus 12 is a complete foreshadow of the coming Messiah. We have redemption in Christ through his Blood, because of what he did on the cross, it comes through the blood and the forgiveness of our trespassers according to the riches of his grace. When I think of Jesus' death, I picture this little lamb. He just willingly gave up his life. The lamb didn't fight it. Jesus didn't fight it. No, Jesus didn't want to go through it. He asked the father to take it away, but you know what? He still went through it. Crazy enough, in Revelation 5, verse 9, one more time, Jesus' death, on the cross paid a price for us to have life. In Revelation 5, 9, it says, And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slaughtered, and you redeemed people for God by your blood from every tribe and language, and then it continues to go on. But it is through the death and the slaughter of Christ, through his blood, we are given life. Absolutely unbelievable. Kevin, can you go to Hebrews 9, 23? I got two more verses that I want to pound home because I think this is important to understand that Jesus is the little lamb that they're talking about. Therefore, it was necessary. Actually, Kevin, go to verse 22. Let's back up here. One. I want to go the other way. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. 
And so it was almost like this Passover. It was just like God is already saying, I forgive my people. (laughs) He's already giving them a free pass. I'm already passing over everything that you've already said and done. You're not perfect. But it's like through this blood of this little lamb, I'm I'm giving you freedom. And then my favorite verse that we're going to get to in Leviticus 17.11 it's just, it's incredible. Leviticus 17, 11 talks about the blood for the life of creation is in the blood for the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. So crazy enough, blood is in the, the light. Life is in the blood of this little lamb. And I want you to put it on the doorposts and the lintels. And oh, by the way, in verse 8 of Exodus 12, they are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. I, I love this. He like gives you the meal. Here's the meal plan of Passover. I want you to eat the meat, okay? Roast it over the fire. Make sure you have unleavened bread. And oh, by the way, make sure <laughs> you eat bitter herbs with it. It's kind of a cool how God... Now, just so you know, this whole unleavened bread just means without yeast, Okay. There's a lot there with the yeast component, but for right now, all I want to say is that it continues on in verse 9. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. (laughs) He's like telling you exactly what you can eat, how to cook it, what you want to cook it with. In verse 10, don't let any of it remain until morning. In other words, you got to eat it all up. If you have leftovers, you need to burn it up, any part of it that does not remain until the morning. The whole unleavened bread, the whole bitter herbs, how to cook it, how to eat it. Here's how you have to eat it, okay? Be dressed for, for, for travel. You got to get going. Your sandals are on your feet. Your staff is in your hand. You're already eat it in a hurry. Kids, slow down, slow down. <laughs> God is saying, I want you to eat it in a hurry. This is the Lord's Passover. I think it's a cool image because whenever I say Passover, I just say Passover. But the reality is, is it's the Lord's Passover. In verse 12, I'll pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I'll strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I am Yahweh. I feel like you should say right there, the God of the Hebrews. <laughs> I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. I am going to bring destruction in verse 13. The key verse, the blood on the houses where you're staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so in other words, oh yeah, all those other plagues, now there's a condition. Some of the other conditions, I just said, no, I'm just not going to give it to you. But there is a condition. If you don't want death to come to your firstborn, I need you to go through this in obedience. I need you to kill an innocent, unblemished lamb. And for four days, I need to make sure you know that it's perfect. There's nothing wrong with this lamb. On the 14th day, I need you to slay it. I need you to kill it. I need you to slaughter it. And then I need you to eat the head and the, the, the organs and the legs, but then don't let anything else. Eat it with unleavened bread. Eat it with bitter herbs. I need you to be dressed and ready. And then I need you to take this blood. I need you to put a distinguishing mark outside because no plague is going to come upon you when you're obedient to what I'm asking you to do. Wow. It's kind of crazy. This is the mark. This is the mark I want you to put on your doorpost. <laughs> I want to read so many verses about this, but I think you get the point. Uh, in verse 14, this day is to be a memorial for you. 
And you must celebrate as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statue. In other words, this is supposed to be a memorial, and I want you to act this out. In verse 15, you must eat unleavened bread for seven days. On the first day, you must remove yeast from your houses, and whoever eats what is leavened from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. In other words, if you don't obey, you're out. And in verse 16, Scripture continues, you're to hold a sacred assembly on the first day, and then another sacred assembly on the seventh day. No work will be done on those days except for preparing what people need to eat. You may do only that. So it's just one big old party to eat. In verse 17, you're to observe the festival of unleavened bread. This is really cool. Because on this very day, I brought your divisions, your armies, your tribes out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statue. He continues to go on in verse 18. You're to eat unleavened bread in the first month from the evening of the 14th day of the month. Now watch, why the 14th day? That was when they were supposed to watch for the lamb. So the lamb was supposed to be slaughtered that day at twilight. So from that day on the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day, you're supposed to eat unleavened bread. It's good. Verse 19. So it's all in accordance. He's got it all planned out. Yeast must not be found in your houses for seven days. If somebody eats something leavened, that person, what do you know? Cut out. You're out of here. (laughs) In verse 20. But I didn't know. (laughs) Do not eat anything leavened. Eat unleavened bread in all of your homes. Verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and he said to them, go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Verse 22, you guys, just so you know, he's continually giving instructions. You know that it hasn't happened yet. (laughs) He's still giving instructions. Take, now here we go, guys. Take the cluster of hyssop right here. I need you to dip it in the blood that is in the basin, okay? So this animal that's dead, you're gonna have a basin, you're gonna dip the hyssop. It's, it's like a paintbrush, okay? There's, there's another way around it. And you're gonna brush the, the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning. So this hyssop, now all of a sudden, this plant is now gonna take the blood and you're gonna just, you're just gonna brush it on. Absolutely incredible, powerful picture. It's crazy. So now watch this. And when the Lord, ah, this is cool. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. (laughs) Let's just go there. The destroyer possibly is another name for Christ. It's another name for the pre-incarnate Christ. You're like, wait a minute. It's just called Jesus a destroyer. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a dark title, isn't it? But I want you to think about something, okay? Can you go to Numbers 22, 31? Let's just push the envelope a little bit. I'm okay if you don't agree with me. I'm okay with it. I'm not gonna get mad. It's fine. Numbers 22, 31. I just wanna make you think. Uh, 2231, Kevin. Now, this is uh, Numbers 2231. This is the whole Balaam and the donkey. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the path with the drawn sword in his hand. Balaam knelt and bowed with his face to the ground. So there's an image of the angel with the sword. Okay, just hear me out for a second, all right? Now, I want you to go to, I want you to go to, Isaiah 37, 36, these are the cross-references of this. Yeah, then the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. 
When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. Okay, now, the angel of the Lord, we don't think of many times as the one that's killing people, right? <laughs> okay, are you with me so far? But it does say, who's the one who killed the people? The angel of the Lord. Okay, so it's interesting. Okay, one more verse, Gavin. Go to Exodus 23, 20. Okay, you're like, ah, this is a stretch, Kyle. I'm not sure. Hang on. I'm going to send an angel before you to protect you on the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. Okay, this is interesting now. If there's an angel going ahead to prepare the way and to protect you, that word protect would mean what? It might mean at times, kill somebody. It might mean defend somebody. So if the Lord is saying, I'm going to send an angel before you, and we know that an angel of the Lord is capable of killing 185,000 people, why couldn't Jesus be the destroyer in the Passover? It's crazy that he could be the guy to preparing the way to point him to himself. All right, now go to Revelation 19. Uh, there's so much here on this one, but let's just try it. Go to Revelation 19, verse 11. You can push back a little bit, but I just I want you to be open to different roles that the angel of the Lord plays, different roles that, the, that yes, I believe the pre-incarnate Christ could play. And what you're going to see in Revelation 19 is it's a pretty hard role. It says that he judges and makes war in righteousness, verse 12. Keep going to Revelation 19. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head and he had a name written that no one knows except himself. In verse 13, it just continues on. He wore a robe stained with blood and his name is called the word of God. And then it continues on in verse 14. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. Now, just so you know, there's an image of Christ. He looks like a guy who's about ready to go fighting. Is that a fair statement? So I don't think Jesus is always this great, peaceful person. Yes, he has an ultimate plan, an ultimate purpose, yes. But I think he's not always this kumbaya guy sitting in a corner. He is going to do what it takes in order to fulfill his purposes. And if it means preserving the Israelites at Passover, I promise you he'll do that. Can I say that 100%? No, I'm not going to hang my hat on it theologically. I just think it's an incredible picture that God just maybe used Jesus as a destroyer to wipe out the firstborn so that Jesus himself could be the real firstborn. It's a cool image. And it's one I'm really thankful for. And so for the rest of Exodus 12, in verse 24, they're told to keep this command permanently. They're supposed to act upon this for all the time. And when you enter the land, the Lord's going to give you this land as he promised you to observe this rituals. I want you to practice Passover is what he says. I want you to walk out the feast of the unleavened bread. And so what you have is in verse 26 and honestly, 27 and 28, they're telling their children, I want you to remember what this ritual means. You're to reply that this is the Lord's Passover. It's a Passover sacrifice to the Lord. And he passed over the houses of Israelite in Israel, in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians and he spared our homes. So the people bowed down and worshiped. And then the Israelites, they went and they did this. They did this just as the Lord had commanded Moses and, and Aaron. What did they do? What did they do just now? They did it, right? They did it. They went and found the lamb. They went and killed the lamb. They went and put it on the doorposts and the lentils because then at midnight on verse 29, it says the Lord struck every firstborn down 
the firstborn of Pharaoh, the firstborn of the prisoner, the firstborn of the livestock. And then in verse 30, there was all kinds of loud wailing. In verse 31, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. He said, all right, get up, leave my people, both you and the Israelites, and go and worship Yahweh as you've asked. Take your flocks, take your herds, take whatever, and just would you bless me in the process? <laughs> I just think that's so weird. Go, bless me. <laughs> Now the Egyptians, they pressured the people in order to get them out of here. Go, get out. We're all going to die. That's the firstborns. What about the secondborns and the thirdborns? So the people, they took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls and they wrapped up in their clothes and the Israelites, they acted on Moses' words. And, and this is crazy, you guys. And they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry and for clothing. It happened. In Exodus 3, the prophecy of the burning bush that said this is going to happen, it started happening. I'm telling you, it's so fun when the word of God becomes fulfilled. The people are now being set free. They're being delivered, and how? Through an, a perfect little lamb. And that lamb eventually became, yes, Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. It's crazy, man. And in this process, as they're going, and it says all of the Egyptians, it says in verse 36, uh, it says that they, the, the people gave such favor to the Egyptian sight that they gave them what they requested. And so in this way, they, they plundered the Egyptians, but really they just gave it to them. But it was so drastic, it appeared that they were plundering the Egyptians. And here, watch this, in verse 36, I'm sorry, verse 37, then they began to travel. The Israelites traveled from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 soldiers on foot besides their families. Now, I, again, uh, I can't, where is my, my buddy Josephus? Remember you guys, the great historian? Uh, Josephus began to talk about the amount of these soldiers and the amount of these people. Like This could have been then eventually up to 2 million people. I want you to leave. <laughs> In verse 38, this is a weird phrase, an ethnically diverse crowd. <laughs> you know what that is? Those are people like Hagar. People that are, and I don't mean this in any bad way, of mixed races, mixed tribes, and they're blending all these worlds. So they're not like the perfect Israelites, but they're the people that have been going and doing life with the Israelites. They were even coming with them. But at the same time, it could have been Egyptians who married Jews. It could have been Egyptians who feared God. In other words, it was all kinds of people who decided to go with them. Both And did you guys see the, the livestock went with them? The flocks and the herds. And the Egyptians were just glad that the Israelites left. <laughs> Please, no more. Ten plagues is too much. Psalm 105, verse 37, Kevin. Psalm 105, verse 37. It's pretty cool to think. Psalm 105, verse 37. Then he brought Israel out with silver and gold, and no one among his tribes, no one among his tribes stumbled. Verse 38 says this. Egypt was glad when they left. For the dread of Israel had fallen on them. Now I don't want to make light of this. Can you imagine waking up and your son, your oldest son is just dead. Your oldest child, dead. Yeah, I'd be glad too if those people left. Please leave. No more frogs, no more gnats, no more flies, no more boils, no more darkness, no more hail, no more death. Just get out of here. And Egypt was actually glad that these people left. And then what do you know in verse 39? It says, the people baked the dough they had brought out of Egypt into unleavened loaves. Since it had no yeast, for they had been driven out of Egypt, they could not delay and had not been prepared any provisions for themselves. And then 40 and on, 
says the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. Now, <laughs> at the end of 430 years on the same day, all the Lord's divisions went out from the land of Egypt. This is cool, the imagery. It was a night of vigil in honor of the Lord because he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. They were delivered. The same night is in honor of the Lord, a night vigil for all the Israelites throughout their generations. There's a lot here in regards to, is it 400? Is it 430? That's where I would say, really dig into your reading guide questions to talk about the 400 and the 430. Talk about it with your discussion group. I'm not really hung up on the timing of this. And for the sake of time, I just felt like the Lord just said, you know what? You you don't need to go there today. What I want to emphasize in Exodus 12 is the people have been set free. They've been delivered. And can you go to Jude 1, 5? This is why we use the passage deliverer. This is why we use Jesus as the deliverer. Now, I want to remind you, though you know all these things, the Lord first saved the people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. So guess who delivered the people out of Egypt? The Lord. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? I want to remind you that all of these things, the Lord was the one who first saved all of the Israelites, his people out of Egypt, and then he later destroyed those who did not believe. That's how I know the destroyer was Jesus. It's crazy, isn't it? It's pretty real. God will go to any extremes through Jesus Christ to save his people. And that's what you have in Exodus 12. So my hope and my prayer is that when you see this incredible painting that Mindy has painted, it's how the hyssop, this weak and fabled plant, but when you put it in blood, all of a sudden, the blood of an innocent and unblemished lamb, all of a sudden, you and I can be saved. It's through the the blood of Christ. Jesus is the one who does this. It's Exodus 12, and then as you go into Exodus 13, uh, all I want to just tell you, because we're not going to, we're not going to teach on it, but I just want to make sure as we're building into tomorrow is that the Lord very clearly, he, he said, hey, remember, you need to consecrate your firstborn. I want you to consecrate them. And in verse five, uh, Kevin, can you go to there? Verse five, um, I want you to, I'm going to bring you into the land. I want you to present the firstborns and then you're going to lead your people to the sea. And this is really crazy. Verse 19, you remember we talked about Joseph and Moses then is instructed and he brings the bones of Joseph And then verse 21, then the Lord, if you'll go to verse 21, this is when the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way. You're like, did you just fly through that? Yes, I totally did. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. Don't worry, uh, tomorrow we're going to cover a whole lot more about what does that mean to depend upon this and what does that look like. But I want to tie all of this in together just today. I think this is really cool. Here you have this incredible pillar of cloud that's going to lead the way, but that happened because of the lamb and the hyssop. No pillar of cloud, no pillar of fire, unless there's the blood of the lamb. God is in the business of deliverance. And my prayer is that each one of you have been set free and delivered from the bondage of sin that can only come through Christ. When there is sin, it leads to death always. But because of his blood, as it says in Romans 5, 8, because of his love for us through Christ's death on the cross, you and I, when we have faith enough in the blood, faith enough in Christ, we can have life, as it says in Romans 10, 9, and 10. 
you and I can have life. It just means by saying, Jesus, I surrender it all to you. As weird as this sounds, maybe somebody listening right now, you're like, oh, I've been signed up, I'm in. Maybe you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's never too late. Put your life in the life of Christ. Put your hands, put your faith, put everything you have into Christ. And he says, when you do that, you will be saved. It's a pretty cool image. And I just want to say thanks for going on this journey. Lesson 34, Exodus 12 through 13. Wow. Let's do it again tomorrow. Thanks. 